You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Proverbs, in the middle of the Bible, we've been in a series in Proverbs. Uh, I want you to put a finger in chapter 3 and then also in chapter 30. In chapter 3, we'll be in verses 9 and 10, and in chapter 30, we'll be in verses 7 through 9. So chapter 3, 9 and 10, and 30, 7 through 9. Well, today, if you are counting, I don't know if you are, if you keep count of this sort of thing, but this will be the second time in our church's short history that I'll be given a sermon on money. So... Um, if you've been a part of our community for any length of time, you know that I do not like to talk about money. Uh, I've avoided it for two reasons. Uh, first is everyone expects me as a pastor to talk about money. Uh, you might be here that new and you're like, I guarantee you, it's my first time at church so I can talk about money. And it is, and I am. Um, and uh, there's some people that think the church is a, a big establishment full of charlatans that are trying to get after your wealth. So understanding that perception, when we started this church, I kind of purposed that I would not teach on money. Um, I've been getting over that reason by just understanding my call to be a, a faithful pastor's disciple you in the area of money and finances. But the second reason why I don't like to teach about money is the same reason why you don't like to hear about money. You don't like being convicted, and I don't either. And this is why I really approach this topic uh, with like my shoes off on holy ground, really, escape, really afraid of it, really humbled by it, because when I approach it, I realize how deceptive money is in my own life that it scares me. That I will read things and go, oh my gosh, I didn't even know. And I get so wrapped up and convicted myself um, that it's really hard to get up and teach. Because I'm teaching, I, I should be there, not here. So it's just, it's just a really difficult topic to teach on for me, per- personally. So um, because money has a way of attaching itself to our, our hearts, I'd say probably more accurately, um, our hearts have a way of attaching themselves to money and wealth and possessions. And so today I, I'm going to pray, I'm going to read this, and I'm going to ask God for wisdom. I'm going to ask God for wisdom for my own life, for my family, for you and your family, for your household, for your lives, um, that we'd be given wisdom on how to navigate, how to use money wisely. That's what this whole series has been about, about us getting wisdom. And church, I'd say you guys are growing in wisdom. And that's a beautiful thing. Our prayer at the beginning of this year is that we would grow in maturity, and that means growing in wisdom. And we, we've talked about wisdom on many different subjects, and I cannot ditch the subject of money because it's over and over and over again in the book of Proverbs. So, these two texts, Proverbs chapter 3 and Proverbs chapter 30, I want to read them to you. And the reason why I chose these two verses is because I want you to pay attention because chapter 3 is the first word in Proverbs about money. It's the first word. It's the first mention. Proverbs has a lot to say about money, about possessions, about um, the economy, uh, about economics. It has a lot to say about it. And this is the very first word on money. And then chapter 30 is the very last word on money. And we're going to read a lot in between, but this, this kind of sets and frames what Proverbs talks about when it, comes to, when it comes to money with these two verses. So allow me to read the first and final word on money in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3. Verses 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you, Lord. 
And do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. And give me neither poverty nor riches. But give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who's the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Let's pray. Lord, I uh, invite you to mess up our perceptions of money and wealth and possessions and finances and um, economics right now, God. That's a dangerous prayer. Even I, I pray it uh, almost kind of shaking in my shoes right now. I know how, this, how deceptive it is being in one of the most wealthy places on the whole planet, how deceptive money is, how much we worry about it, how much it gets tangled around our little hearts, and how much we, we are, we're driven, our decisions are driven by it. I pray, God, that we would be your people, and by that, Lord, we would not be servants of mammon, we would not be servants of money, we would not be servants of wealth or possessions, but God, we see them in their proper place. So give us that good perspective today, that divine, holy perspective on money, on wealth, on finances, God for your glory. At the end of Proverbs, it says, Lord, that God, we don't want to disown you and we don't want to be those people that says, who's the Lord? We want a right perspective to honor and love and follow you, Christ. And so I pray that you would anoint me, that you would use me right now. I, I, I truly need um, your spirit today. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been looking at Proverbs, um, and the theme that, uh, that is wisdom in the book of Proverbs, we've, we've said about wisdom in Proverbs that wisdom is different than raw intellect. Raw intellect is what you gain in college. Raw intellect is what you gain in university. Raw intellect or raw, raw intelligence is knowing that something. Raw intelligence is knowing that, like knowing facts and truth and history and language. But wisdom is knowing how. Wisdom is knowing how to live life. Wisdom is knowing how to make decisions. Wisdom is knowing how to help the poor. Wisdom is knowing how to live in right relationship with your family. A good example would be you go to medical training. Some, a lot of you are in, are in medical school. You go to medical school to, look, to know that. But then you do your residency to know how. And this is what wisdom does. You have gathered and accumulated all these facts. You, a lot of you guys are college educated. A lot of you guys have great jobs. You know facts, but what we need is wisdom. We need, we need to know how. How do we take those facts? How do we take the knowledge and apply it in a certain situation? How do we know how? This is what wisdom gives. And one of the major themes in Proverbs is the theme of money. How do we use money? How do we use wealth? How do we use possessions? And how do we see economics? I couldn't rightly teach the book of Proverbs without talking about money. So since we're talking about this subject today, I want, I want to start where probably most of us are mentally right now. So the pastor gets up, he walks out. I'm wearing fancy slacks today because I'm talking about money. I want to be formal. It's okay. He's wearing slacks. He means business right now. He's business casual. He's stepping out. Okay, he's going to talk about money. What is he going to say? Oh, I know what he's going to say. He's going to say, I better tithe. That's what he's going to say. No matter where he goes in the sermon, he's going to land on give. Be generous. Give your money. That's what you're all thinking right now. You're going to tell me to give, to tithe, to be generous. Well, I'll just say it at the very beginning. Yes, you should tithe. 
You should give, you should be generous. It's a biblical principle. And it's, it's even a given imperative that we who are God's people, we who are saved by God's generosity, that's the indicative, that's true about us. We are to be generous people. That's the imperative. That's what we are called to do. But I will start by admitting something. I will admit that tithing will not set you free from greed. Tithing will not set you, take a picture of that. Save it in your phone. Okay, you can use it against me later on. Tithing will not set you free from greed. It will help in the process of freeing our hearts from self-centeredness. It will help, but you can give 10% and still be self-absorbed and greedy. Tithing, in that case, when you're self-absorbed and greedy, will either make you self-righteous or justify in your mind why you're allowed to be greedy and self-absorbed. In other words, you will see the 90% that's left over after the 10% that, you give is, that you've given away is yours. Okay, 10% goes to God. That's not a bad deal. 10%, 90 is mine. It's all mine. I can do what I want with it. Hey, I've given my money. Don't tell me what to do with my 90%. And we can, be, we can give our 10%. We can give our tithe. And it never frees our heart from greed. You can do what you want with it because you've given your tribute to God. I've given my tribute away. I've given my 10%. Another thing I've seen is for some people, tithing or giving or giving to charitable organizations just makes you feel better about all the shady practices of how you made your money. <laughs> low blow? Was that, was that too low? You give away your money, you give away your 10%, your 2%, whatever it is. You're like, okay, we gave away our money, but we, we, could, we, we make it however we want to make it. But hey, listen, we give some away. We give some away, so I, it kind of clears my conscience of making money so shady, making money in, in such a wrong way, in an unethical way. I give, at least I give my money away, some of it away. Tithing does not baptize your greed or even your theft. Tithing will not set you free from greed. Now, if tithing and generosity are good things, but not the silver bullet, what is the silver bullet? Well, the question is, how do we gain wisdom? I guess the silver bullet is wisdom. How do we gain wisdom around the topic of wealth and economics to escape the seduction of money? The two verses that I read at the top of our sermon was how the book of Proverbs starts to talk about money in chapter 3, and the final word about money in chapter 30. And they may seem to be a, a contradiction. Or like one saying, God gives wealth, and the other says, don't give me wealth. Like it doesn't make any sense. It seems like a contradiction, but actually they hang in perfect tension. And all the dozens and dozens of verses in the middle of the book of Proverbs about money help to keep these two verses in tension. Let's look at the first one. The first one, the first mention of money in the wisdom book of Proverbs. The first mention goes like this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats brim over with new wine. The first thing that we learn about Proverbs, how Proverbs opens about money, is that wealth and money are a good thing. Wealth and money are a good thing. If you expected me to tell you that wealth is bad, that money is bad, it's not. It's actually looked on as a, as a good thing in the book of Proverbs. God blesses his people with material gain. Look at the connection between right action and material reward. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of your crops, then 
your barns will be filled overflowing. Now, I know this is uh, agricultural, but I think we all get the point. It's easy enough to, to apply. There's a connection between our obedience to God and honoring God and reward. Now, that word honor, I love this word honor. This word means weight. It means to be heavy. It means to esteem a person by giving them value, placing on someone value, and to declare that person has value, has weight in your life. And because of that, this isn't a tithe principle. This is an honor principle. This means that you're giving to God because he has so much weight in your life. You consider him so valuable that you're honoring him with your money. So it's not like you give your, ah, here's my 10%, God, I'm just paying you my 10%. It's, God, I honor you with my wealth. I bless you. You are so worthy. You've given me every, I only make this, this money. I have this stuff because of the mind you've given me, the hands you've given me, the eye you've given me. Whatever it is, whatever your craft is, whatever capacities you need to do your job well was given to you by God. And then you go, God, I honor you. With the fruit that I get back from what you've given me, I honor you, God, here. And I bless you. Giving to God because he's worthy. That's what this is talking about. Now, this is not a formula. Now, some of you guys want to highlight this, and you're like, this is how I get rich quick. I give God more, and he gives me more. Okay? That is not a formula. It is not. One commentator points this out rightly. Tremper Longman writes in his commentary. He writes, Proverbs are snapshots of reality. Generally true principles, but not promises. Now, this is tricky. Now, keep that up for a second. This is tricky. Because a lot of us will go to Proverbs and quote Proverbs like they're promises. Well, God promises that. But if you actually read like three chapters over, he promises the opposite. Proverbs are general snapshots of reality. They're general principles. Do when you do, honor God with your wealth. Do, do, do your barns fill overflowing? Sometimes. For some people, yes. But sometimes not. It actually talks about later on that because of injustice, some righteous people suffer. And they suffer a lot because of injustice. These are snapshots of reality. But what we glean from it, what we glean from the opening part of, uh, of, of wealth in Proverbs is though this is not a formula, we notice that there is a relationship between spiritual values and our wealth. We also notice that wealth is not inherently a bad thing. Just five verses later, in the same chapter, it says this in Proverbs. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, but look what's in her left hand. This is my left hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. So you, wisdom is way better than rubies, but when you get wisdom, look what's in her left hand. A long life's in her right hand, but in her left hand are riches and honor. Wisdom can bring wealth. It can. You can be very, very educated and put wisdom into that and get a lot of wealth. It can happen. It's one of the rewards for gaining wisdom. But, but, notice this. Wisdom is more precious than wealth. Wisdom is more precious. Wisdom is better than money. There are all these better than couplets in Proverbs that I love. Proverbs will go over and over, over again. This is better than this. This is better than that. Look at a couple of them with me. Better a little with fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. 
Someone please make a restaurant out of that verse. I know it can be done. And it'll go over really well. And I want to partner with you. So come talk to me afterwards. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. A good name is more desirable than great riches, to be esteemed better than silver or gold. Better the poor whose walk is blameless than the rich whose ways are perverse. Now, why does Proverbs do that? It tells us that wealth is a good thing. It tells us that we can have wealth, and wealth can be a gift of God. But then, just a couple chapters later, it says there are certain instances and situations where it's actually better to be poor. Wealth is good, but actually sometimes it's better to be poor. It's actually better to have a little versus a lot. It's actually better to eat vegetables than eating meat. It's actually better to have dry crust instead of a huge feast. Why does Proverbs do this? Here's why. One writer writes, The real danger of wealth underlined here is that it can distort our sense of values and priorities and make us blind to lose out on the better things which really matter and which truly enrich. The reason why, keep that up, the reason why it does this, the reason why Proverbs says wealth is good, wealth is, is, is a blessing from God, God gives wealth, and then once you honor God with your wealth, he gives you more. The reason why it says that, then it says, but it's sometimes better to be poor because you and I, our hearts read that and go, okay, I'm gonna go after wealth then. I, I, I think if, if, if it's a good thing, I think I want that. Being wealthy is way more comfortable, way more fun. Cities are way funner with a lot of money. I'll do that, but it says, wait, Wait, don't just go after wealth. Because there's sometimes, there's times in our lives where it's actually better to be poor. There's times when what, what wealth does and the seduction of wealth can skew, it can distort what's really, really, really important. It can distort our sense of values. It can distort our sense of priorities and make us blind to lose out on the better things. What's better than being rich? The fear of the Lord. What's better than a lot of wealth? Better than a lot of wealth is righteousness. What's, what's better than, than peace and quiet? Nothing. That's amazing. That's from God. Peace and quiet's from God. What, what's not? Well, I have a fat calf with their strife and everyone's arguing and fighting and I'm eating this, waiting for someone to stab me in the back. That's not worth it. I'd rather eat just a little dry morsel of bread and have peace than that. There's things that are better than having a lot of stuff. There are things that are better than having a lot of wealth. Someone sent me this uh, link through Twitter this week, and they said, sermon material? And I'm like, well, this is kind of great. I don't even have to go look for sermon material anymore. People are just sending it to me. This is a really great thing. Anyway, so there's, and the whole thing was this, um, this nurse who's a hospice nurse reflects on all these people that she walks through the, la- the, the final weeks of their life. And he sits with, they, she sits with them and, and takes care of them. And she reflects on five regrets she hears most often from people. Five regrets. And number two was, I wish I didn't work so hard. And it wasn't the fact that they, they worked as in work so hard. It was, it was that it, it, they were working for a certain quality of life. They were working for money or security. They were working for the thing that they, they thought that they needed in life 
all the while neglecting what was truly better, what was more important, their family, their spouse, their children, their legacy. And she said, when I sat with people, this was true, she said, of every single male and a lot, a lot more females, especially the younger ones. As I sat with them, this is what they said. They were going after. Working hard is a noble thing. We learned that a couple weeks ago. It's a godly thing, but Proverbs warns us about the power of money here because we can go after it and we can work hard after money. Everything we have, sacrifice everything that we want for the, because we think that's the better thing, but it's not. It's not the better thing. The reason why Proverbs can say in the same book that wealth is a good thing and then say that there are certain situations where it's, it's good to be poor is because Proverbs realizes the seduction of wealth. When we start to acquire wealth, our human hearts will start to do almost anything to try to keep that quality of life. When we start to get it, we don't want to lose it. Or we grow our quality of life and we have to keep up and keep moving forward and keep advancing and keep progressing, even if it means becoming dishonest even if it means becoming ruthless. Look at these next two verses. Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord and false scales are not good. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. Now keep these two verses up there. The first one, the first proverb there is talking about dishonest business practices, dishonest scales. When everything was bought and sold, grain was bought and sold on, on, on scale. What does something weigh? And they weighed against false measures, false things to get more for their money or less for, for what they want to buy. Think of it this way. You're cheating. You're cutting corners. You're lying. And you call them white lies. You call them just part of the business that you're in. But they're lies all the same. And the only reason you're making these decisions is to is to, is to to grow your bottom line so you can make more money. And what it's saying here, what it's saying in Proverbs is that money, wealth, and profit have the power to corrupt you. That you can go after money and wealth so much that you become a dishonest person. When you would not think of doing something while you're in university and you're studying ethics and business, you're like, I would never do that. But then you get to it and you start seeing success, you start seeing competition, and your stump, company starts rising. You go, I have to do these things in order to keep up. I have to do these things to keep my, the, the margin this way. I have to keep doing this. I have to be dishonest. Wealth, money, success could deceive you into becoming dishonest. And it says here in Proverbs that it is an abomination to the Lord. That's a strong word. Abomination in the Old Testament is normally reserved for sexual sin, but not here. God says cheating on your finances and cheating on your spouse hold the same weight and have the same social consequences. They tear apart the fabric of human society. The second proverb is about control and self-absorption. It refers to a trader who holds back selling life substance, grain, exploiting the needs of others to advantage himself. It's when someone selfishly hoards grain to drive up the price of grain. It's hoarding supply to drive up demand. Now, this is not illegal, but it's wicked. And what's so wicked about it, all commentators agree with this. The reason why it's so wicked, and this is what it's saying, is that this person's business 
had only one bottom line, personal profit. What's wicked here in Proverbs uh, 11.26 is that this guy, this person, this businessman had only one bottom line and it was his own personal profit. It's a person who only cares about getting what they can from this life, from this economy, from this city for themselves. So everything that they do in life, their job is only about them. The only bottom line is my personal net worth. You think of your job in terms of only what it gives you. It does not care about the needs of the community. It does not care about the common good. Here's what's so amazing about Proverbs. It's an old book. It's thousands of years old. But in the last 50 years, the idea of of the triple bottom line is gaining a lot of traction. That the idea of an economic and a social and an environmental triple bottom line is gaining a lot of popularity and a lot of traction. And the funny thing is, it's right here. It's right here in Proverbs. This is what Proverbs is talking about. That this is, the, the person who, who doesn't do this, the person who, who, who sells and, and, and has more of a bottom line than a personal bottom line is the one who gets the, the blessing of God on them. People actually pray for their business. People are like, God bless you in your business because it's not just for your own personal profit. It's for this community. It's for the common good. And because of that, Pray God's blessing on your business. The triple bottom line. Now I'll say what I said a couple weeks ago. There are people in this room, and I know, I meet you guys every week. You can choose where you want to work. You can move laterally. You can move up and down where you want to work, when you want to work. A lot of you guys have this privilege. Not all of you, but a lot of you. And that's a huge privilege. And I'll tell you what I told you two weeks ago, that you need to steward that privilege rightly. If you are on the board of a company or you are a founder or CEO, make sure that you, ha- that you don't have just one bottom line. That's not because it's trendy or a relevant business practice right now, but because it's how the people of God who are to live wisely organize their lives and organize their businesses. It's how the people of God organize their businesses. If you're looking for a place to work, ask this question. When you're being interviewed, ask, what's your bottom line? If you have the choice to, to if, if you do, if you have the choice of where you want to work, choose a company that has more than one bottom line. Now, the reason why we have to ask all these questions and think through all this is because whether we admit it or not, our hearts are tied to money and wealth in an inordinate way. In the scriptures, money is, is, the, is one of the only true replacements for God. In the scriptures, money is one of the only true replacements for God. So you can like, this morning we were um, gathered around uh, just uh, praying for the service. And we were, we said, hey, let, what we like to do before a prayer meeting often is like uh, talking about, before we get into uh, praying for you guys and pray for the service and the kids ministry and everything that goes on today, to just bless God. And the way that somehow, somehow, the way that we do this is by speaking the attributes of God. That God, you are fill in the blank. You are good. You are righteous, true. And what I, what we were going around, and I had this realization that a lot of the things that we attribute to God, we, we can say them of God, but we actually attribute them to money. Like God, you, you, you provide. And what we really think is God, that uh, money provides. You are my security. You are my strong tower. You are my refuge. You are my strength. You are my identity. You are my, and we, 
actually all those things, if, we're, if we like peeled back layers, those are ways that we actually think about money. And the scriptures, money is one of the only replacements for God. Proverbs puts it like this in Proverbs 18. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Now think about this for a second. In those days, a walled and fortified city was a place of safety. It was a place of security. It was a place of identity even. There were guards keeping the wrong people out of a walled city. There were typically some form of government inside the city keeping peace within the walls. There was shelter. There was community. There was significance in the city. And throughout wisdom literature and poetry in the books of the Bible, they referred to God as their safety. They referred to God as their fortified tower, their strong tower, their city. For example, Psalm 61 says, From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, my strong tower against my enemy. You've been my fortified city. You've been my fortified tower. You've been my protection. You've been my security. You've been my identity. Proverbs 18 shows this well. But look at, look at verse 11. Look at what the rich say about their money. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. So no longer is God their, their refuge. No longer is God their identity. No longer is God their strength. No longer is God their security. No longer is God their safety. No longer is God their significance. Who is? What is? Their wealth. And they start to think that they imagine the wall is too high to scale. No one can break in. I, am, I, I have enough wealth and enough security. Nothing can move me. I feel like I'm on top. I feel, I feel invincible. I feel untouchable. I feel secure. And it's not God who brings you that security. It's not God who takes away that, the fear of the world. It's your wealth. It has, wealth has a spiritual power to give you as proxy what God can only give you in reality. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. This talks about the spirituality of, of wealth and money. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon was the God over money. One of my favorite commentators, um, Dale Bruner, says this. Mammon means possessions or property. Today we might legitimately translate mammon as things, money, gain, or success. The god mammon is left with its pagan name in the Greek text and in most translations in order to remind readers that mammon is a spiritual force who works with tremendous attracting power to draw us into its orbit and out from under the service of Christ. That's scary. The reason why mammon is there, not just money, NIV sometimes translates it money, but the reason why mammon is there in the Greek is because the the writer, John, wanted wanted to show wanted to show here that this has spiritual power. This has spiritual power. This has spiritual weight. This has spiritual authority. So what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 is that you, there's God and then there's this other spiritual force, mammon. And it has a power. And it has power over us. Some of us look to wealth as our significance. Some of us look to wealth. When we have money, when we have wealth, when we have things in the bank account, when we can buy what we want, we feel important. Money buys us better things. It lets us eat at better places. It gives us better experiences. And it makes us feel important. 
And that makes us feel better about ourselves. And we find our identity in that. And the reason why you feel this way, the reason why I feel this way, this one is my temptation, is because of the power of money. But the other temptation is that some of us look to wealth as your security. When you have money, you feel safe. When you have money, you feel like you're in control, that nothing can touch you. When your bank account gets below a certain, certain level, you start panicking. Oh, i got to get it up to there. So I feel like I'm in control. So I feel like I have security. I feel safe. And I'm not safe when my bank account is this. You can overcome your fear because you have money in the bank. You have investments, etc. This is the power of money. This is my wife's temptation. So we're like two opposites. Like I want to spend the money because it like brings significance. She wants to save it because it's like security. And we just always fight about let's save, let's spend, let's save, let's spend. And these are both temptations that we have to realize come out of the power of money. But here's where we have to be honest. Money is powerful, but it's not that powerful. It has power, but it does not have the power to truly give us what we want. Money does not have the power, wealth does not have the power to give us what we truly want. It cannot truly give us what we need in any deep sense of those words. I was reading this book recently called The Economics of Good and Evil. I feel like I recommend a book to you every week, and I apologize, and you probably don't even listen to me anymore. But if you are in economics or finances, I highly recommend this book to you. Um, Oxford Press put it out. It's by a, a man named Tomas something of his last name that I will not even try to pronounce. And in this book, he's talking about what money can buy and what money can't buy. And he says this. For untradeable things that cannot be exchanged, such as friendship, there is no way to trade them or swap them. You cannot buy true, a true friend or inner peace. But listen to this. But you can buy things that seem to be around it, proxies. You can buy proxies. You can buy a dinner in a restaurant for your friends, but there is no way you can buy true friends by doing so. Or you can buy a cabin in the mountains and try to find peace there, but you cannot buy peace itself. Ultimately, advertising functions on this principle. They show you something that, that cannot be traded, a good night's sleep, a, a happy family at breakfast, or, or beauty, and offer you a, a tradable proxy, an expensive bed, some kind of breakfast cereal, a, a mountain cabin, or shampoo. And even though this is an illusion and the actors are extras and, uh, and extras, extras play, pay, play an ad, sorry, uh, we still start to desire a better pillow. Mine is responsible for my troubled sleep. New yogurts and cereal, the happy family at breakfast, and shampoo, even if the model in the ad has probably never used that particular brand. This is, this is how it works. We, re, we, want, we, want, we want a proxy. We buy things. Now, the question is this, what's your proxy? What are you trying to buy with your wealth and your influence that you know deep down money will never buy you? Be honest. May the Spirit of God search our hearts right now. What are you trying to buy that's a proxy? And what I pray right now, even as I'm speaking, that the Spirit of God would begin to reveal to you right now, you're, you're going after that, but it's, it's, it's a new pillow. And it's not going to work. See, the way that Proverbs gives us to combat the deceit and the seduction of riches is found in a simple prayer. It's a prayer that's simple and profound. It's the final word on money in Proverbs. 
And it's the only prayer recorded in the entire book. And it goes like this. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Now that prayer starts by praying that I would be kept from falsehood and lies. This is so important. Before we jump to the financial piece, God, keep me from falsehood and lies. Now what what does that have to do with wealth? What does falsehood and lies have to do with wealth? If I have false beliefs, about something as seductive as money, then I'm going to believe that I want more than I truly need. I'm going to believe that I might even want more than I truly want. I will start believing a lie and I will misjudge my very own desires. I think I want a new pillow, but what I really want is a restful sleep. And the reason why I'm not getting a restful sleep is because of stress, and I'm stressing because I keep trying to figure out how to keep paying for all the stuff that promises what it never delivers. We need to be honest. We need to be honest with ourselves and go, God, keep me from falsehood. Keep me from lying to myself. Keep me from thinking, well, I know I don't, I know that this is just what it, what it, what it takes to live here. This is just what it is. This is just what, let's just, let's just call it what it is and say, I'm trying to find my security and my identity in these things. Keep falsehood and lies far from me, God. Don't let me lie even to myself. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. And then he prays, give me neither poverty nor riches. This has been called the golden mean, made popular by Aristotle. But the prayer is not for a comfortable middle class life. Okay, this is not what he's praying. He's like, God, make me comfortable in like middle America with my house and my fence and my horse or whatever you have in middle America, like, that's not what it's saying. It's not like saying, give me a comfortable middle-class life. That's not the prayer here. The prayer is complete devotion to God. And what this, this person, the son of Agor, whoever that is, is saying here is like, God, I know the seductive power of my own, uh, of my own heart when it comes to wealth. I know that I could never be trusted making a lot of money. If I made a ton of money, I know my, and he's, he's being honest with himself. Do you see keep deceit and lies far from me? He's being honest with himself. God, if I was a billionaire, it would not be pretty. Like the things I would do if I, if I had a lot of money, God, you can't trust me with a lot of money because if I have a lot of money, I will start to say, who is the Lord? I will wake up and I won't go, God, I need you today. I'm like, God, I don't really need you today. But if you like, like maybe make the weather nice because I want to go surfing today, that'd be cool because I'm taking my boat out in Bali and all. Like that's kind of the thing. It's like that sort of like, it's, it's like who's the Lord? Like who, who really needs God? I have everything I need. I have a house that has a climate control perfectly that's synced to my phone. I can just make it warm when I want it warm and cold when I want it cold. I have everything I need. I don't need you, God. I don't need you. I'm ch- I have too much money. I don't need you. He goes, God, keep me from that because I'll do that. Some people, again, this is at the end. Some people can be trusted with a lot of wealth. I know, I know there are people in this room that can be trusted with a lot of wealth. You have a lot of wealth and it's like a conduit and it goes right through your hands. No big deal. You're like, my standard of living doesn't change that much when I have more money. I just, 
I just distribute it because it's not mine anyways. It's God's. And I just kind of funnel it and give it to wherever it is. And that's awesome. Some of us, it's just like a like Hoover Dam. It just stops, like fills up. We're like, oh, I have a lot of money. What am I going to do? I don't know. Buy, new, buy that stuff. Replace that thing. Just do that. Like we cannot be trusted. You have to know your own heart. Be honest with yourselves. Say this prayer. God, don't make me rich. What, what, what a weird prayer. Like to pray publicly in San Francisco. God, bless this company, but not too much. Who, who says that? Who prays that? But this guy does because he knows his own heart. He knows, God, if you do this too much, I'll, I will disown you. But he also knows too, but if you cause me to be poor, I don't want that temptation to steal because both of these are devotion. He, the first one is like, God, I don't want to say who is the Lord. I, I want to know you. I don't want to quite, I want to know you, God. But the second one is I, wanna, I don't want to defame you. So they're both, I want to be devoted to you. That's what he's saying. I want, the finan- I want to stay in that financial sweet spot of being devoted to you. And suffering and want, the Apostle Paul would say, I have everything I need in Christ. And rich or in want, feasting or famine. I have- this is what, he's praying a prayer of devotion. God, make me devoted to you. He wants to be devoted and, bring- and he's being honest about the seduction of wealth. He's being honest with what he can handle. And that is economics are tied to his spirituality. A lot of commentators believe that Jesus had this prayer in the back of his mind when he gave us his model prayer. See if you could find the parallel. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. A lot of commentators believe that Jesus had the son of Agoras prayer, the only prayer in Proverbs, in mind when he was crafting this model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Because it's a prayer of dependence. It's a prayer of our will for the world aligning with God's will for the world. It's a prayer of forgiveness. It's a prayer of, God, I want to be dependent on you, and God, would you forgive me? Now, notice the way that and I, I don't have time to go into all this. It's actually a beautiful uh, picture if you trace it throughout the Bible. But when the, when the Bible talks about sin, about being, being um, broken from the shalom, the peace of God, the, the, the wor- sin entering the world and destroying the world, it talks about it in terms of debt. It's economic language. That you're in debt to God. He's given you everything and you've given him the middle finger. You've said, I don't need you, God. And that's debt. You're in debt to God. You're, when, when, in the New Testament, when it talks about sin, when he says, and forgive us our sin, he's saying forgive us our debt. Forgiveness of debt is the, or the forgiveness of sins is the key feature of Christianity, which actually makes it unique among other major religions. Jesus' role was to redeem men. Jesus' role was to purchase us at a price to buy us out of debt from the arms of sin from the arms of the sin and the debt that we had, to give his life as a ransom for many. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Redemption, that's an economic word. In accordance with the riches of his grace, riches of his grace, that's economics. And in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But what's fascinating about our debtedness to God because we've tried to live our lives our own way without wisdom, without the wisdom of God, 
replacing God with the idol of mammon, replacing God with the security of wealth, replacing God. That sin that's in that now we have debt, we can get out of debt, but we can't buy our way out of debt. We can't buy our way out of debt for a couple reasons. The first one is, is the debt's too high. The debt's too much. There's no way you can buy yourself out of debt, the debt of sin. You can't buy that by giving stuff away. You can't buy it back by doing good things the rest of your life. You just can't buy back the debt of sin. But maybe a a more poetic way of saying it is saying that economists, um, I don't know what they call this principle because I I never studied economics. I'm just kind of making it up on the fly. But um, (laughs) when I say that, I sound smarter. Um, Economists have this idea that, that before there was uh, coins and money, there was always, there's gifts, and that's how you would trade. And they even trace it back to now, like, you don't exchange money between friends. It's, a, it's just a weird thing. Um, you have these apps that try to change money between friends, but even when you do that, it's kind of weird. Whenever you ask, hey, can you come over and help me move? I'll pay you 50 bucks. No friend goes, 50 bucks? I'm in. <laughs> like, if you're, if that's your, if, they're probably not a real friend if they say, yes, pay me 50 bucks. <laughs> you're hiring them. That doesn't make any sense. They're your friends. But what you say is, hey, come over and help me move. I'll buy you pizza. You're like, that's fair. I mean, it's not really fair. You're getting a way better deal if you're, ha- but, it's, but, it, but it's friendship. It's gifts. And then you're like, oh, I helped you move and you got me pizza. But, you, but, but, but hey, come on, I'm going to buy you, I'm gonna, but I'm going to buy you dinner next week and we'll do this. And there's always an exchange. If you trade things, it's just trading. It's all gifts. Because relationships, there's no money exchange in true relationships. Um, one person uh, that I read said that you know a true friend because you don't know how much each other owes each other anymore. Like, because you've done so much for each other, you don't know who owes what. You don't even keep a count anymore. You're like, yeah, it's a friend. Like, I, I do that. Whatever. I paid, for, I paid for this round, or I did this, or I did that. Like, you don't keep tabs anymore. The poetic way of saying the reason why you can't buy yourself out is because Jesus is our ultimate friend. And he knows this relationship is not a buy and sell sort of relationship. It's, a, it's based on a gift. It's based on the gift of his life for your life. It's the gift of salvation. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. And as, his fr- as, as our friend, as our ultimate and true friend, he gives his life as a ransom for us. And it's this beautiful exchange. It's this beautiful exchange. And that's why the tithe principle is whatever. It's the honor principle. God, you're my friend. I honor you with my wealth. I don't just pay you. I don't give you tribute. I honor you. And what God does with us is he gives us the gift of his son. He gives us the gift of redemption. We cannot buy our way out, but it's a free gift. And, this, and, and you can't buy it. You can only receive it. And that's why it's called news, good news. Because all you can do with news is accept it. That's it. Hey, here's some news. And then you give them the news. And you're like, oh, cool. That's all you can do. You can't buy, for the, you can't buy the news or anything. It's just news. The good news is this that we were in debt to sin and Christ redeemed us to remove the seduction, the power that wealth and money, the false power that wealth and money has over, over us and all the other vices that we get ourselves into to redeem us back to himself. That's news. Would you, would you receive it? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you are discipling us and training us and giving us wisdom in all these different areas. And today, this area of money and wealth, Lord, I know that this church is a wealthy church. They're rich in so many things. They're rich in gifts. They're rich in intelligence. They're rich in wisdom. 
They're rich in money. I think of the church in Corinth that was rich in so many things, and this church is like that. May we be faithful with it, God. Make us faithful with what you've given to us. May we be good stewards of the wealth that you've entrusted to us. May we be good stewards of the intelligence, of the wisdom, of the, of the place you placed us in the city. And God, keep us from temptation. Give us our daily bread. We want to be dependent upon you, God. We want to be dependent. And whatever that means, Lord, I, I'm just kind of sensing right now that for some of us we have to kind of make ourselves dependent. There's some things that we have to give up because we're relying on them too much. And the word sacrifice keeps coming to mind. We have to sacrifice because we're placing our hope in something that's a shadow. It's a shadow. It's not real. And in a real, real way we have to sacrifice that. Give it away. Give it up. I believe you're calling, I just, I just know that you're doing that right now, Lord, in, in our hearts to sacrifice. I don't know what that means. I'm different for different people. And so I got to pray that spirit that you would lead us now into a time of response, of repentance, of turning to Christ, sacrificing, of giving. We want to be those people who are completely devoted to God. And may this city experience through our devotion times of blessing. In Christ's name.